Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. Tonight, I have another fantastic episode. I am very excited. This is one of the uh, TTRPG Twitter community favorites, uh, game designer, um, lover of Pokemon, and um, likes to get into some unique D&D designs. So yeah, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, Hey, I'm Lex. Uh, I am Titanomachy RPG on Twitter. Uh, I'm not going to spell it. I, name, I didn't didn't realize it was going to be this much stuff, and now I have a name that's impossible to spell. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> uh, email from Double DM always just says he types in tit to search me on Twitter. <laughs> Maybe that'll come up for you. Maybe yeah, my name will come up for you too. Remember, tit. you have too many At OnlyFans tit. subscriptions that you might <laughs> yeah. not find. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, if you get it wrong, then you still have a fun time. Mm-hmm. Um, I. Am uh, I'm out in South Florida. Uh, I do like sales writing for a living, and I got started. I started this account in like January. It's been almost a year now. Oh wow! Uh, and I've seen just like insane support from everybody. Yeah, like over that year, and you know, shout outs to all the all the crew, Maps and Quests, and Abyssal Brews, and you know, everybody out there. Yeah, uh, for the for the help too. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into like all of that stuff too, but where I was like to start is like, how did you get into nerd stuff in general as a kid? Or if it started later for you in life, like how did that happen? I, I think I was just always into a lot of the nerd stuff. Uh, just from a young age, I remember being, I was, when I was like a really young kid, I was a dinosaur kid. And you nice. know, when you're a dinosaur kid, you grow up to be a nerd. There's just no <laughs> yeah. way around. Even if you stop learning about dinosaurs, you just, you're fated to become a nerd and there's really nothing you can do about it. Uh, I think, I don't know. I, I was like, uh, I was the first born child of my parents and 
I got good grades, so they just let me get whatever I wanted, and I would pick nerd stuff out. Nice. Um, and then eventually moved on to video games and like RPGs. Like I think my first RPG proper was Golden Sun on Game Boy Advance, uh, and that's I mean that's a foundational yeah. text for me. Yeah. Uh, tr- really, really love that with the, like the elements. I'm like, oh my god, this freaking rules! <laughs> yeah. All the collectible thing, the gins. Um, and then that was sort of like, I got into RPGs that way, but mostly on the video game side for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Video game RPGs are pretty incredible, um, especially when they can be like very immersive too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, it's interesting once you like, you're into that and you're like, oh yeah, video game, like Skyrim, Witcher, Mass Effect. And then you play like your first game of D&D or something. And you're like, holy mm-hmm. shit, this is, <laughs> yeah, like, this, this is cool. everything I needed those games to be. And it's the only thing I'm missing. And now is like a, you know, visual conception outside of my brain. Right. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Um, so you mentioned like, you, you know, because you had good grades, you're able to get nerd stuff. And like, like, what was that, you know, was that like fantasy fiction books? Was that comic books? Was, you know, movies, stuff like that? Oh, you know what? Uh, part of like getting into nerd stuff was nerd stuff was also probably related to like my parents would set these reading goals for me. Oh, okay. uh, so I had to read a certain number of books uh, during the summer or something so I could stay fresh. Uh-huh. I, have a, I have a Korean mom so and, and a Jewish dad. So they're very like, education is very, very prioritized. Yeah. And so all throughout the year I had, you know, extra stuff doing. Uh, and so a lot of them was like, oh, read books. And so it got to the point where it was like a book equaled X amount of pages. And so I just had to go get thick chapter books because yeah. I was like, like getting into middle school. Uh, and I remember reading like fantasy books. There was like choose your own adventure novels that I would just pick up from the library. That's I think where the fantasy stuff started. Yeah. Uh, I, I even read like I think I read The Hobbit in like sixth grade. I don't remember anything from it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know any of that That's about fair. that. But yeah. Uh, and then so sorry. Well, I I uh, forgot the question. No. So yeah, was it like whenever you had the opportunity to get stuff? Uh, you know, for having um, good grades and stuff like that. Was it, you know, fantasy fiction books? Was it comic books or that kind of thing? Uh, I remember being sort of like, I also really liked Sonic when I was a kid. Nice. Uh, and uh, so I remember getting a lot of the Sonic comics. Yeah. Uh, and then we, we were also like into Gundam Wing, me and my young yeah. brother. <laughs> uh, and so we we would get like have that and we would have the... Um, so all the like the, the there was like Gundam Wing comics too that we were buying, and yeah. so it was, we would get comics. We also would get like trading cards. We were we were like kind of into, like Pokemon cards were really big when I was younger. Yeah. Like that was really my dad would go. I didn't ask him to do this, but he's just like a very like dedicated sort of you know gruff, quiet, not emotional, but like will go out of his way to do the very sweet thing. Yeah. Um, and so he would go to like the baseball card shops at the time they had Pokemon cards in there too. Mm-hmm. And he would buy the hollows for, he would call me on my, he would call my mom <laughs> and we would be at someone's house and then she'd hand the phone to me and he'd be like, do you have Nidoking King yet? I'm like, no, I've been looking for that one. And he's like, all right, I'll bring, bring Nidoking King, the, the hollow card. Yeah. So it was, that was like, a, that was like probably the earliest thing. Cause I remember like my friend coming over for the first time when I was like six and yeah. he brought over a Raticate card and I lost my, gd mind i was my <laughs> six-year-old brain was like okay uh <laughs> i did never sure uh, i i lost i was just like went ape shit over this radicate and radicate's not even a, that cool of a design it's just a rat and so we, we like went like the first time me or my parents had heard of this pokemon thing yeah and we was just like from there it was all pokemon cards all the time uh event i got video games a little later than other people but i would get like 
Pokemon games, JRPGs. Uh, really love like tactics games, Fire Emblem, stuff like that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, I don't know much about South Florida. Was like, was there a community of of people who were into that stuff when you were a kid, or or was South Florida much like many of the regions in the South where it was like, you know, probably more um, filtered towards sports and and shooting guns and. Florida is definitely a different animal and like in certain parts you definitely get that especially when you sort of hit north of Orlando that can all that's all very very southern yeah Uh, and so I don't want to pretend like the you know the quote-unquote blue counties aren't racist either but it's just better hidden uh and but you know uh there wasn't there was some stuff we have a a very uh well-known comic shop called Tate's which at like, I think it was, now it's got to be coming on like six to eight, maybe 10 years ago at some big world con, they won best comic shop in the world. Mm-hmm. And so they have this huge comic shop with all the nerd memorabilia. They have a, a gaming satellite a couple of hours down that I remember I even went to a couple of those game nights to, like as a eight, you know, like 10 year old or something, we, we were playing Magi Nation. Yeah. It's an old trading card game that immediately died out, but we got really <laughs> into it, my brother and I. And I went one time and played two adult men at this card game. And yeah, no, but it was fun. It wasn't like a, I didn't have like a friendly local game store sort of thing. We were more, our community was much more like church stuff. So like my mom was very much in, we were all always like at church. So, but like also in school being in like sort of like the quote unquote gifted programs, whatever. Yeah. You know, that's whatever problems there are with that. That's where I was. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I met a lot of my friends there who were also nerdy. So we would all like exchange nerd stuff and like talk about, you know, the, the old playground days of like my uncle works at Nintendo. He told me this, like all that sort of <laughs> chatter, like in the sort of more what were considered gifted classes or whatever. Yeah. No, that's cool. I mean, it's always nice when you can have kind of community around it and and feel um a little bit safer in that regard. Um, you know, when did, did you, you have that? I mean, I have, it, it's now down to like one friend that we've been friends for 25 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a group of us that were all there. The four of us were very different and we had like little branches of other friends. Um, but I mean, I grew up in a small town, so where it was like, you know, we played sports, but we also, you know, played video games. And, you know, um, when Pokemon came out, like everyone, because at the time, like when it got big in America, I was in fifth grade. And Mm -hmm. so of course, like when you're a fifth grader, everything is cool. So like, Mm -hmm. yeah, we all were into Pokemon cards and yo-yos, you know what I mean? And, uh, (laughs) and then Digimon and all that stuff. Um, and then it didn't, yeah. And and then in high school, that's kind of when like you start to see the clicks and things like that. But it was just kind of a weird, I, I mean, I was a misfit cause I was, you know, a, a minority for one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people were either, you know, fascinated by me or, um, you know, thought that I was, uh, less than human. So those were kind of yeah, <laughs> the, two the two options, options. <laughs> yeah. outside Wait, where of did that you grow up? in New Mexico. Oh, New Mexico. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we're pretty, yeah. we're pretty, um, backwards in all of our educational uh, all the scores you can you can score on so 
Yeah, I feel like Arizona, New Mexico, Florida all share like gorgeous, you know, landscapes and yeah. beautiful environments and just like some of the shittiest people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, in in it in New Mexico's definitely like when it comes to cultural diversity, I think New Mexico's oh excuse me, a little bit better because there are predominantly Hispanic people here. Mm-hmm. A very large population of like people from Mexico or or um you know, first generation, uh, Mexican American. Um, and then of course a ton of white people. So, um, and native Americans. So we have like a pretty good mix of all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then, you know, anybody who's, uh, black or Asian, you're just really a minority. Um, yeah. So there are some places that we have, like there's a place that's called the war zone. That's what we called it growing up. Cause it's just Mm -hmm. like, gangs and everything else um yeah it's pretty bad uh lots of drugs and they've re they've tried to rebrand it as the international district um which is just a way of like saying like you just kind of like push all your poor minorities into one place and then yeah (laughs) yeah call it international that's that's the melting pot they actually want they don't want (laughs) it they don't want to mix with the whites yeah they want the you can have the melting pot over there and we'll keep our (laughs) yeah Right. Yeah. We'll keep our suburbs. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, Arizona, I think is definitely much worse when it comes to that because like, again, Southwest, like we're same, like in the map of the U S we were right next to each other and they absolutely, as a state, I'll say generalization, hate Mexicans. And it's like, Mm -hmm. Your whole You're state right is there. like built there, built by you, these people. You picked yeah. the wrong place yeah. to make your state. Yeah. It's, so it's as close to Mexico as <laughs> states get. As we can get. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting, really weird um, blend. But, you know, it's, it's, I always just find it fascinating where people grow up and, and seeing like how those things happen and, and cultural differences. Did, I mean, did you, and mind you, I will cut out anything that you don't want to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. But, if you're willing to talk about it, like, did you struggle at all having um, a Korean mom? Like, is that something that people identified you as or because seeing your mom, like, did you face anything with that at all? Uh, I'm sure it was probably worse than I remember. And like in therapy uh, years later, I'll be like, oh, actually it was that bad. But (laughs) in my current memory, uh, I remember being upset by like everybody was like, "Oh, you're Chinese." I'm like mm. I'm, you know, you get mad about that because yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. first of all, it matters. It's not yeah. okay to say, but also like it's like it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's wrong. Ridiculous. It's wrong. Yeah. Just stop. Yeah. Uh, but as I got older, there were like the South Florida has a pretty good mix of like it's a lot of Hispanic people, hmm. um, a lot of. Uh, black Americans, both from like the Caribbean, like Afro-Caribbean yeah. and also African-Americans. There's, I mean, like obviously tons of white people. Yeah. Um, Asians aren't like, like I had Asian friends in high school. So like okay. not, we weren't a, a majority by any stretch. Right, we yeah, were, yeah. there was like maybe 3% at most of the school was that, but you know, in, in the sort of like the AP classes and all that, we all found each other and we were, we were friends. And so it wasn't too bad in South Florida. I was, people would often like mistake me for like a Hispanic person, Latin, a person. Mm. Um, And like, I, I I used, I worked at the, at a a Tivana in the mall after I graduated from college Mm because I couldn't find a job as an English major. Uh, Shocker. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Fellow English uh, major. I hear that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, So I, I, 
uh, was working at Tivano. We have to sell tea. And I was I was able to get to the point where because like people would start talking to me in Spanish just straight away. <laughs> and I'd be like, I I took a lot of Spanish. I'm not like I was yeah. a good student, but I also like wasn't practicing at all. Right, yeah. But I got I got it to the point where I was like, okay, if I can learn the names of like the ingredients, like the main ingredients, like cinnamon, uh, you know, this whatever white tea, uh, pounds and ounces, yeah. I can I can probably do this. And so I think I was able to close two sales in Span entirely in Spanish. Nice. Uh, which is a proud moment for me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's like one of those places. It's it's, it's got its segregations as well, like mm -hmm. uh, between towns. And um, I like I live right next to like the, I guess, uh, content warning for gun violence, mm. um, like the Parkland shootings. Like my my oh, high yeah. school was rivals with their at high school. Oh, okay. So we we you know we, it was fun though. It was like the pig bowl, and then whoever. The team, whichever team lost their principal had to kiss a pig. It was like a yearly tradition, uh, you know, a wholesome yeah. fun for the, for high schoolers. Yeah. That's yeah, man. I just like, it's so crazy. Like a school rival rivalry. Um, and now that you bring that up, like it just like, it's part of, part of that, like true American indoctrination of just like you wear this emblem. This is who you fight for. Like yeah. there was kids from the town over that was like our school rival. And it was just like, if you saw each other at a party, it was automatic. And it's like, why? Why? Like you just go, like you live in a different district. You just but, live oh, somewhere else. Fucking poor kids. Like what's the yeah. problem? Um, but it, they would get extremely violent too. You know what I mean? It's just such a wild thing. Like, I mean, I get like, you know, sports and like pulling pranks on the team, like that stuff. Like, okay, that's fine. But like right. to just straight up be like, nah, fuck you. You're from Belen. So like that's, that's such a crazy. <laughs> it's so it is that sort of it is such an American like everything yes. everything is there to be conquered. Nothing mm -hmm. is there to just be. Yeah. God forbid you enjoy it too, like, right? If, yeah, like, for sure. Like, if you enjoy it, then you, that's the bigger problem. But as long as they just don't want you know, so you yeah. can't just like let things lie. You always have to be pushing harder uh, and destroying more as, as in, in your wake the important part is the destruction yeah for sure did you um did you go to college in florida too i did i went to uh, university of miami nice for four years i lived down there for the most part uh, yeah. it was a few summers i came back and and hung out in my hometown it was like about about an hour away from where i uh grew up so okay it, it wasn't too far but far enough where i wanted to just stay down there uh, yeah, and it was it was great. I met some of my best friends ever there. Um, it was. I mean, I ha I was able to get like a decent scholarship, so I wasn't like I came out with debt, but nothing like insurmountable. <laughs> yeah. Uh. So yeah, what we uh, the year I went to college was the year of the financial crisis of mm. two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. My dad uh, is a mortgage broker, <laughs> and so <laughs> when there's a mortgage, there's like a housing yeah. crash. Yeah. Uh, he was like, I paid more in taxes last year than I made this year. Like yeah, that's, that's it was insane. one of those. So like we ha we you know I've got some financial aid and stuff, and and you know his his you know income recovered slowly over the years, but yeah, yeah I, I went down there and then I moved back after college and kind of saved up a bunch of money and only recently 29 now so i i graduated 2013 uh so you know seven eight years later uh i saved up i i got a place uh a little apartment of my yeah. own 
and uh, it was back in September, so it's fairly recent. Yeah, it's been really. Uh, it's been a good, it's good. Been a good road here. That's awesome. Yeah, it's that's cool. I think it. Um, you know, it's uh, it's. Well, I I definitely thought that I was like ten years older than you. So uh, good on you, I guess, for looking <laughs> young. Um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it was a crazy thing, but you know, as an English major, um, because I, I was, I was an English major. Um, I went to the university of Kentucky for a couple mm. years. Um, but I, I later switched to business just to be, you know, more practical and take care of my family. Um, yeah. but you know, English is still something that I absolutely love writing all that stuff. Like what was your, um, it's like, did you have a, a specific goal in mind, I guess, or was it just like you're passionate about writing and that's kind of where you, why you wanted to lead that way? Yeah, I, I really love writing and I, st- I still do. Uh, I just do, I used to do a lot of poetry fiction. Yeah. I have a lot of, you know, published poetry and like a couple of short stories and stuff. Like I was really into it. That's awesome. Um, and I, I, my whole plan was to go to graduate school and get my MFA and then kind of, I guess, figure it out from there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, uh, didn't work out as planned. I actually didn't have a backup plan. I was so sure I was going to be going to graduate school. So I applied to like nine places. I got into one uh, and it wasn't, it was just too much money. Like yeah. most of the other ones, if you can get in, they're very selective, but if you can get in, they pay for everything. You know, yeah. it's like tuition permission. They give you a stipend, whatever, if you teach, stuff like that. Um, but this one didn't. Mm-hmm. And they were like, it was like not even half of the tuition. I was like, I'm not going to go into debt for a degree that's like. <laughs> yeah. It's, <laughs> like it's I still don't even have a plan. Degree. Yeah, It's a fine arts degree. I'm just not yeah, going to. Yeah. And also I had, I had a teacher who had gone there many years ago to that same program a long time ago. But she was like, don't don't go i was like oh shit okay uh my my like novel professor i was like i had been writing my novel with her for like two years yeah uh she was like don't do it i was like oh shit like okay and and so there's a lot of reasons uh and i didn't end up going then i was like sort of like half employed you know underemployed for about two years doing part-time jobs and this and that proofreading stuff uh and now and then i found my way into like sales writing so that's actually been fantastic so is that like um like sales copy or is it like marketing yeah. stuff? Yeah. I'm a copywriter. Yeah. I'm, yeah. A, I'm a direct, uh, a direct response copywriter. So awesome. we do all of our stuff direct to consumer. We don't do any branding ads. It's all like long form sales letters Okay. Uh, that, that get turned into videos that, you know, yeah. we, we sell financial subscriptions and stuff. So our like subscription research or yeah. sorry, financial research subscriptions <laughs> is complicated. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> no, that's really cool. So, yeah. So, you know, how, I guess, with all of that stuff going on, like when did, when did TTRPGs fit into that? Um, well, I remember playing, it was something I've always been aware of. I've always been aware of Dungeons and Dragons as a thing, just being a nerd. Yeah. We had never played until I was in college and I was visiting friends at UCF and uh, they, I happened to be there on their, I think they were playing Pathfinder 1.0, like the first, first yeah, yeah. edition. I always mix it up if they were playing 3.5 or, or just Pathfinder. I think it was Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, the same they, game, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they handed me a sorcerer spell sheet, a uh, spell a character sheet, and yeah. I remember casting Fireball on a dragon. It was awesome. Yeah. Uh, we had, they had a little just like paper grid on the table and, you know, a big dragon figurine, and it was awesome. It was definitely like 
oh, I've, I get this right away because yeah. there's the video game RPG side and it was, you know, 3.5 Pathfinder, very crunchy. Like it was basically just, you know, IRL, uh, JRPG boss fight. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, and then we many years went by, never played. We tried to get a, a group together like twice more, never never went through. Mm. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, <laughs> my brother uh, bought the starter kit for 5e when it came out. Uh, or maybe maybe like a year or two after it came out. And so he started DMing stuff for us. Had no idea what he was doing, but it was fun. We were hanging out with friends. Uh, I started listening to the Adventure Zone mm. uh, balance arc, and I was just like, oh my God, I could, I could do this. I could DM. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I'm learning the rule. Probably not the best place to learn the rules from the McElroys, but still, like, <laughs> I know how to run a game now. Yeah. Uh, so I took over, had a, a custom campaign that we, you know, when the pandemic hit, we uh, cut it off. So this was fairly recent. I, mm-hmm. I, Probably, I think we had been playing maybe a year, uh, about a year when the pandemic hit. Okay. And so now we've been playing throughout the, well, we haven't been playing that much throughout the pandemic, but I've been playing stuff and playing new games and finding other stuff to do. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, that's very much like uh, similar to my story of just like trying to find people to play and then nobody wanted to do it. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what, uh, like, I mean, because obviously the game is captivating. Um, you know, when you first try to, when you first took on DMing, like what was your first campaign like? I I did so so much because my brother was working from uh, the Lost Minds of Fandelver, mm-hmm. and uh, then we kind of just like fell off of that. And then I was like, I'll just make my own thing. Yeah. Because why would I run somebody else's stuff? <laughs> There's a lot of reasons why you would do that. Yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> I ended up doing just, I mean, it sort of makes sense now looking back at what I'm doing now, but yeah. like <laughs> I made all these custom abilities for every person tailored to their play style. Cause I knew them really well. Yeah. We, I had a, a totally like all this whole story set up. I didn't do that much world building. Thank God. Like it was like <laughs> a, a moderate amount. I didn't yeah. go like wild with it. Um, but it was, it was actually really fun and like yeah. it, I, we had a great time. I need to like, I want to finish that campaign because it was really special. Like it was all our first sort of real campaign together. Yeah. And uh, it was so much fun. I was like, this is, I was just over the moon. I was like so excited. I, I was like spending, you know, hours on prep and loving every minute of it. Yeah. Now I'm, I've, I, it's been a couple of years now and I'm not like that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So like I'll I'll jot down some bullet points. Ooh, that, that's a name for NPC. Uh, we all agree on like a setting and what we're doing. All right, let's let's go. Uh, when, when did it When did it hit you first that you were like doing game design that you were creating you know custom classes and, and abilities and stuff like that? So it, I started doing uh, subclasses during the uh, election, uh, the American election in November <laughs> yeah. of twenty nineteen uh right 2019 yeah uh i was so stressed and i don't remember how why i decided to do it i don't know if i had been thinking about it for a while but i was like i'm just gonna start you know be cool a silence for rogue i'm sorry sorry was it is it november of 2020 yeah and then it goes I, I mean 2020 doesn't exist but yes i can't sure my brain doesn't, <laughs> yeah it doesn't like the time doesn't exist for the past two years yeah. it's the same year <laughs> no um, it's so bad yeah, you're right. It's 2020. Uh, God, it's been. It just feels like it's been so long. It's yeah, it's uh, bizarre. 
<laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, so I, I think I think I've seen some, maybe I was looking on Instagram, saw some D, uh, D&D posts or something, but I was just like, it'd be cool to have like a silencer rogue. That's a very, you know, basic concept of the anti-magic sort of uh, agent. I was like, right, I'll make this, uh, finished it uh, in like a, probably a couple days or something. I, I like worked on it here and there. I was like, actually, this is pretty cool. I was showing my friends and I found that it really took my mind off of things yeah. uh, really well. That like puzzle design process of, especially when you're brand new, it's like, okay, what are the established tropes and structures? Mm-hmm. What does the game really want you to do? What is it cool to do in this system? Yeah. And sort of like just, just having them up side by side and sort of intuitively trying to figure out what is an appropriate ability uh, I also did uh, a way of the way of the falling star monk, mm. uh, inspired by all of my players, monk players who would just jump into a fight like they had a D twelve hit die. Yeah, they love. They think they're barbarians. Every single monk player thinks they're a barbarian. Yeah, and then they drop sure. and they're like, "What happened? Like you, <laughs> you have a D, you have a D eight hit die. You're supposed to use that bonus action. Come on." Uh, yeah, but like I, I did yeah. for flurry of blows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why would I disengage? Uh, why would I disengage? Yeah, absolutely not. I'm good at yeah. flurry of blows. Yeah. Uh, I so I made this thing. So it was like when you get under half health, or like you can like damage yourself and do certain cool things. When you get under half health, you get abilities. So it's designed to like reward that play style because it's just every time I'm running a, a campaign and someone's playing a monk, they 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 can do a bunch of stuff and then they. Get, get rocked like yeah. a full like we did a holiday one shot one time like it was uh i had like woven in a sort of like christmas aesthetic into the story so that it sort of actually did become a real part of the story but essentially the the boss was like santa claus bad guy you know big santa yeah, claus yeah. villain the huge like big burlap sack full of god knows what and on the first attack he crits the monk and the monk goes down like right <laughs> away just immediate crit because i was like oh it's a boss i'll, I'll give it you know whatever th- 3d6 46 damage or something and then it crits and it, you know it's like all right well the monk immediately just evaporates yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah no so I, I started doing that and then i i don't remember when i started doing like the really weird stuff i was just sort of like what do i want to see that 5e is not doing and I, I i sort of slowly made that transition of thinking of myself as a homebrewer to a game designer uh a little bit later on especially like once I had made a game and released one, then I really started yeah. saying that. But even before that, I was like, well, this is not a homebrew subclass. This is like, this is a subclass I designed. I designed this, this subclass design is by me or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I would put that on the tags. Like I was, that's legitimate game design. If you're just yeah. homebrewing stuff for another system, you're doing, you're doing the same thing that someone who wrote of an official one got, like, it's the same thing you did. These right. There's no difference. Uh, and so I, I think I had seen some Twitter thread from somebody being like, hey, don't like sell yourself short. Like you, you're a game designer. You don't have to do, you don't have to be like, oh, it's a homebrew thing. Authors don't call their characters OCs. They're just the characters, right? There's, <laughs> yeah. I've seen that argument. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like if yeah. someone wrote a setting, they would they, like, they don't say it's my homebrew setting. It's like, it's my setting. That's my, yeah. like George R. R. Martin doesn't say fucking you know, Westeros is his homebrew yeah, setting. Like, what is it? <laughs> yeah, I was trying to yeah. think too. I don't watch it. I never watched it. But you know, like, and that's the thing. And even like Middle Earth is basically fan fiction of of other mythologies and Euro right. European mythologies too. It's like 
you know, you're doing the same thing that any of these other people whom you revere, they all did the same thing you're doing now. So, you know, I know it's scary to give yourself a serious title because then you feel like you can fail. And then like, you've sort of like set yourself up for heartbreak, but I don't, there's not really a way to fail at this. If you're just making cool stuff to put on Twitter and like show your friends, if someone makes fun of your thing, I'll yeah. come and beat them up and it's fine. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. cool that you made something and it can be bad. Who cares? I make, I make overpowered right. stuff all the time. I don't, I've never once cared about it. Never <laughs> yeah. once. You can hear it. We'll yeah. talk about this later, but I did a crossover episode with Cast Eye and Mayday and they played yeah. a bunch of my subclasses and a bunch of them multi-classed and <laughs> it was freaking bananas. I didn't even know, what, yeah. I didn't know what was happening. I had no yeah. idea. And the, some of the players talked about like, this is, this class is a little OP, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah. I don't know this to me, this goes out because I'm doing math like, oh, well, Find Steed's a second level spell. You could just have them out. Yeah. It's, it's only 10 feet faster than the Warhorse. And then I gave, I wrote an NPC for them to, like a little grung wizard. And I yeah. was like, well, I don't want to think about what the grung wizard's going to do. I, I like, just can't think about that right now. Uh, what's the coolest spell a wizard can cast? It's haste, obviously. And so he cast haste yeah. on the mount. And the mount already has a 70 foot walking speed. So now it has a 140 foot walking speed. And then the next turn comes around, like, I don't know what to do. Uh, I'll cast jump. I prepared jump on the frog because, of course, I did. And then now, now it jumps across the entire map and is like yeah. checkmates my my bad. It was it was a fun chase scene and like it worked out. And they did a cool yeah. little combo move at the end to to make it work out. I, I won't spoil that. Like use some yeah. unconventional spells to really like. It was so cool. Uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a fun time. Like why not do why not do awesome stuff? It's not Adventurers League. It's your table. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think that's the biggest thing is, um, you know, just having fun when I, in my home game, I don't think I've ever talked about this specifically on my show, but in my home game, um, we we played Pathfinder second edition. I originally, it was originally just my best friend and I like solo play. Oh, wow. And yeah. So one of our other friends we were playing D and D with Cree, who I love very much, uh, Cree, she, I asked her, I was like, Hey, I know you've never even looked at a book, but like, I will send you PDFs. Like if you want to listen to us play our first session, like cool. And if you want to try it after then we can make a character and play. And then, so she joined shortly after that. Um, and then we just recently joined, had our, a third player who was from our D and D group originally, uh, back during COVID times. Um, like early COVID times, we're still in COVID times, yeah. <laughs> um, get vaccinated folks. Uh, but yeah, so, um, so, but yeah, it started out with just one. So whenever like my initial arc was like centered around him being a druid and what that would entail. And so they went into this ruin and when they were done, he was able to like, he passed his test and um, I gave him a free wild shape into a leopard. Like was it um, once daily? So it doesn't cost a spell slot. Doesn't it's not nothing, oh, no focus so spells. Good. Like just once daily, you can do you could turn into a leopard as part of your druid training. Hell and yeah. so yeah, but I'm like, yeah, is that OP? Probably. Like uh he definitely freaking turned into a leopard, jumped out a window, <laughs> and killed my monk that I was fighting him with. Um, but at the same time, like you said, like let's have fun. Like, who cares? You know, like if it becomes so unbalanced, then I'll just 
make things harder, you know, add more difficult monsters or, you know, scarier NPCs, whatever. Like, have a conversation with your player and be like, hey, I made a mistake. Yeah, have a conversation with the player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's fun. No, but, it's you know, like, I think that there's stuff. Yeah. No, go ahead. I mean, I think it, I think it's just so cool to, you know, that, that um, style of, of GMing of, you know, putting players first, you know, putting the story and just saying all the other things that happen mechanically, it's not the end of the world. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes we make encounters that players find a creative way to deal with in an instant, you Mm -hmm. know, and you're just like, well, um, cool. I did not plan for that to happen. (laughs) Single (laughs) single round. So (laughs) that's, oh yeah. It's always, that's, that's my favorite part of being a DM is being surprised, which is why I've started planning less and less and less uh, to the point of barely, like I like prepping maps, so I'll I'll do that. But I, I love being surprised by what people do. So sometimes like I, uh, I just ran a, like the first half of a two shot of a a heist, uh, a Kenku heist for a map from Abyssal Brews. Uh, we're going to be finishing up soon, but, uh, they, I was just like, here's some obstacles that would happen in a heist. I have no solutions planned. Figure it out. Yeah. It's not like impossible. They're all very smart, accomplished D&D players yeah. uh, doing all sorts of stuff. And so, yeah, they figured it out. They came up with something that I was like, I had a whole map planned with like tokens and, and things that they would have to fight. <laughs> and they like just totally bypassed it. There was some danger there as they were on yeah. the battlefield and they could see all the people there. So if they screwed up, it was going to be a bit a bad right. time but like yeah. they really did a cool circumventing of the thing i was like that's so much cooler than what i had planned <laughs> uh like that's awesome like i love when yeah i just want to be surprised so that's yeah. that's my style of gming if it's if it's freaking awesome i'll probably say yes if it's like if i get the feeling that you're starting to like try to like exploit the system then i'll be i'll put my foot down but other than yeah. that sometimes you just want to do a cool thing yeah for sure i think i mean that's like my favorite style of play i think definitely as i've played more you know doing more role play and stuff like that has has really appealed to me doing more of a story um but also you know creative play you know what i mean like you have all these fucking skills and feats and all this stuff like do something interesting you know what i mean like you know i think when people complain about combat in um in D&D or in Pathfinder, because um, I think you can make arguments against either one, really. Um, I think it's sometimes it's like, okay, like if it's boring to you, do something different, right? Like, yeah, yeah for sure. The DM has an onus there too of like, right. okay, make it a more dynamic combat, but also like, you know, you have all this stuff at your disposal like try something crazy you know what i mean like what's the worst that can happen there's no winning in D. &D, so like if you're like if your character dies then you were bored anyway so yeah make Make another character that you have fun with (laughs) yeah Yeah. a lot of that can be like the dm it can be the player it can be the the thing that they chose whatever options they chose yeah and yeah i think it always comes back to like hey can i talk to someone to make this different yeah and that that always I think combat in general, like crunchy combat just takes longer and, yeah. you know, it does take a long time and but, it can get there. But like, if you have time to think about stuff, like I'm always like, let me just do the wackiest thing. 
up to the point of like, oh, I don't want to endanger anybody any else in the party or like make people clean up my mistakes, but still like try to go wild with it. I'm playing in a Fat Magic playtest with uh, Shane, uh, Matt from Abyssal Bruce, Space Jamber, and Amber uh, Rocket Orca. And it is just a joy to like, I mean, those combats are also very dynamic and well-planned. So pre-order Fat Magic RPG on Backer Kit. Uh, And no, but it's like always so exciting to jump into combat and be like, all right, I can, I'm playing a druid. So I'm like, what animal can I turn into that is absolutely going to do either like fix this or be the funniest shit anyone's ever seen? Like those, like you can have those two options as a druid and just go nuts. I've, I've been turning into a crepe ape a lot because uh, everything has to be food in Fat Magic. So it's a crepe. Yeah. And I just, I, you can't speak while you're in wild shape. So I just started saying, ooh, as the ape. And it's, now it's like a running joke at the table. It's just, we just say that all the time now in random spots. Uh, yeah. It's, yeah, you know, like, yeah, if it drags out, maybe that's encounter design or maybe it's just the wrong table. There's a lot of yeah. you know, a lot of wrong tables out there. Yeah, I think I mean you know there, the, as a GM, I think it's important to like understand pacing. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think everybody has a different pace, but I think for sure like understanding like okay, it, there has been silence for five seconds. Like we need to do something. You know what I mean? Or yeah. um, you know finding ways to like prepare or you know you you're, you hear your players say like oh, i'm gonna do this thing like roll a d20 and see what that save is gonna be even if you don't know what save it is you at least have the die number to add right. whatever your save oh, is. That's a you good know tip. what i mean so yeah so there's like different things you could do um to help speed it up because i think it is important for even in a home game right like we do a lot of stuff in podcast form of course but like even in a home game like i mean your players don't want to be bored at the table either or on screen or whatever so it's like cool let's find ways to have fun. Um, You know, how did you develop your DMing style? Did did it just come from playing or did you, do you feel like you pulled tips from other places? I, I learned by doing is how I do like everything, which is why all the stuff I make is just like, Hey, I made this thing. I don't know if it's good, but here you go. Have fun. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And that's how I like to do things. That's how I learned. Yes. So I just started doing it once I felt like, okay, I could do this. Uh, And the style I, I got a lot from Griffin because Griffin's a, a, a terrific storyteller and like balance is maybe a, a perfect, well, you know, one of the few perfect D and D campaigns, which is mm. funny to say about how that <laughs> campaign starts. It's a little rough, but it's really a beautiful story that, that Griffin ends up setting up for the players and, and, you know, his family and they really take it on themselves to make something great. But I, I learned a lot from his style. And then once I started watching Dimension 20, I think I, my, I started watching Tiny Heist because McElroy's were on a other D&D thing. So I was like, oh, let me watch this. Yeah. And Bradley Mulligan obviously is just an absolute insane, yeah, brilliant, brilliant DM. Uh, and so I just started taking tips from him. And like, I would watch, I've watched like almost every interview he's done about DMing and like all, all <laughs> so much stuff. And so I, I took a lot from that, and now I just sort of like take it in ambiently from watching him DM and, and like, oh, that's a cool thing. Maybe I'll try that, or like getting more comfortable with the voices, which is something I'm still working on. But I'm getting better at, at being comfortable doing the voices. Yeah. Uh, but that was the thing where I was like, oh, Brendan's doing stuff. I don't have to do accents. I can do other voices. I can just do like 
like there's a lot of stuff to learn from these pro DMs and you could learn from them forever. Right. So yeah. that's sort of, I kind of just, I, I did that. And lately I've actually haven't been even DMing that much. So I've been more like writing mm-hmm. games and testing those games. So yeah, it's, uh, that style sort of, it is very loosey goosey, but I, I, I learned from those two was sort of, they were sort of my, uh, touchstone. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Brennan is, is, uh, is really good. I mean, I definitely think like uh, when I first, when I watched dimension, I was like, Oh shit. And not even, I mean like, yeah, obviously he's super hilarious. Um, you know, but improv comedy is a thing that you really need to learn and like yeah. <laughs> you know, train for. Um, so I just let, you know, whatever funny I have um, exist. But I think the real big thing that he does, which I find so incredible is just like the listening um, mm-hmm. and taking cues from the players and then building on those, like to create these super beautiful stories and, um, you know, incredible moments and stuff like that. And like, giving people the space to like do things um you know and and just ah, the timing it's it's, i mean obviously super skilled at it and you know yeah i would say similarly to like how people wanted every table to be like matt mercer like you know i think it's important to take tips from these folks but like you know still you are your own person and do your own thing so um but yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun though. <laughs> yeah, to check it oh, out. This is a great, uh, great little hobby, and uh, all like now figuring out like all this other stuff that you can do yeah. with this sort of like framework of let's have a let's tell a story together, and there's going to be certain rules, and that's and that's how we'll tell the story, and that's yeah. like a really because when I would do poetry there was satisfaction in having a finished piece and like showing it to someone and, and them reacting a certain way or getting it published. There is that. And then like maybe even getting a comment or two of like, Oh, this is wonderful from people. It's very different to be writing games or subclasses even. And people being like, I tried this in my game or I tried this on game night and it was so fun. Or this, this experience that this game provided really means a lot to me now. And yeah. that's a really special thing that is particular to this genre that we work in it's it's not the same as a novel or a, or a poem where people like experience it in private this is you're yeah. experiencing something all together and it's a lot more accessible in a lot of ways than poetry it's definitely more accessible than poetry say what you want about dense rule books but it's <laughs> yeah. still more accessible than poetry and yeah. you can have all these experiences with your friends and it's and, and when you make stuff for people, they can use it very quickly and get back to you and be like, this rules. Like, and that's yeah. such a cool feeling. Like someone tweeted at me today, like, oh, I just downloaded uh, Caltrop Core and in bed and then made a game in like 15 minutes and I didn't leave my bed. I was like, that's so yeah. cool. It's <laughs> yeah. like, Hell yeah, dude, that's badass. I've made a thing that people yeah. just like, yeah, casual, like, oh, I should download this. Oh, I'll just make a game right now. And they're like, you're just like in bed finish a game before you can get out of bed <laughs> all in. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. I, um, I used to write poetry, so I definitely get that. I do think it, it's what you, you made me think of something though, that like, I remember hearing people say like, Oh, well, 
you know, poetry means whatever you want it to mean, which is like, that's fucking not true. Poetry may, means what the writer, what the poet wrote. Like that's, they had a, a specific intention when they wrote it. Um, maybe you don't understand it and that's fine, but like there is specific meaning to that. Whereas like a TTRPG is something that you can take and experience in your own way. And everybody's experience is going to be different. Um, you know, so it, it's an interesting that you drew that parallel of those two things, because I think that they're what you know, when we talk about accessibility and things like that. Like, I think there is something that people have the ability to say what you want in poetry or in a piece of artwork, a painting, whatever. Um, you can get that f- from this artwork, which is a game designed by somebody. Um, and experience it in your own way and have those beautiful moments. You know what I mean? Um, if you're willing to engage with it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's really cool. Um, the first game you designed, is that Placehood? If I remember correctly? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah. Placehood. So I ha- I'll just, let me preface this. I haven't had the chance to play. I want to play it super bad because it just reading it is so beautiful. Like I read it and I was like, I felt like when I was reading it, I was listening to like soft, like I wasn't, but I felt like I was listening <laughs> to like this soft, like calming music. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is deep. So the floor is yours. Now you can talk about it. Um, yeah. So I realized it was a game later on, but I would, so one of my novel in college, which I still have to like revise, I'm like on the fourth or fifth draft of it. Cause it's, it's a difficult child. But the main thing was that everybody in that world was both a person and a place at the same time. So there were these sort of overlapping realities in a way where you could interact with someone as a person or as a place in this sort of emotional space, emotional space. And it came from, I had a conversation one time with somebody I was like visiting in Gainesville, I think we started chatting and then we just, I just started kept asking more questions and there was some sort of metaphor involved and eventually it was like, oh, we had mapped out this whole like place that represents who you are. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Let me do that for. Yeah. So I started doing that with other people and using that to like mine details for the novel and like sort of explore. It's it's very immersive. It's like so incredibly immersive, especially if, if one person stays answering the questions uh, the whole time. Mm-hmm. It can get really intense. Yeah. And like you once you're out of it, you're like you feel like you've come back from a trip. Uh, and I yeah. later on, once I'd been reading other games besides d and I was like, oh, that thing I used to do qualifies as a game, just like a conversation yeah. game. Let me write that up. And I think I was working on Beach episode at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, oh, I had actually already written a game. Here we go. Let's put it up. And that's actually another thing. A game is, is much, like, especially if you've only played D&D or like your, that's your primary touchstone. I didn't realize what other games could do. And like... It's yeah. really cool to check those out and and see how you can like absolutely do so much with so little. You don't need yeah. a three hundred page rule book and the other stuff. <laughs> there's one page games. There's you know there's more if you want like more a crunchier stuff. There's Lancer. You know Lancer's great. It's got a couple hundred pages as well, but that's also like all necessary information and fun to read. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I think, you know, it's um it's fascinating. And when I looked at that, I th- cuz I think in there you talk about using it um for character backgrounds too. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's such a cool concept of just like 
you know, because it really fleshes it out. My table, we're notorious for just like throwing together a character and then doing background shit as they evolve over the game um, and really fleshing out a lot just because we just want to play. But I think that, you know, even if that's the case, like, and then going down and what I really want to do is take my players and sit them down individually and just say, okay, like we're going to play placehood and think Mm -hmm. in the mind of your character. And then now all this stuff develops. Right. And it's like, because then it's like, you know, some of it is really deep, you know, some of it is like, yeah, this, you know, room hasn't been opened in a long time and talk Mm -hmm. about what's in that, in that space. And, um, you know, or, or what different trinkets and things like that bring to life. And I think when you're putting yourself in the space of a character that you've created, it also helps to kind of just like, okay, how do I, how do I live in this character um, Mm -hmm. in a way that, you know, maybe I haven't really done, Um, which I think adds connection there too. So um, yeah, that's, that's what was the initial draw for me um, when I discovered it when, because I think you had posted about like you're, you're doing that uh, for both that and beach episode. Um, Mm -hmm. So I was able to get both of them and and yeah, it was just, yeah, it's so cool. So yeah, I think people go out there, check it out, go on uh, Lex's uh, itch. I think it's on itch, right? Yep. Yeah, and 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 get placehood, and beach episode, and couch and core, and just get them all. <laughs> just yeah, just yeah, um, yeah, 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 everything. Um, yeah, and then we can talk a little bit about beach episode, and then and then I, I would like to just kind of dig more into couch core and all that stuff. But like beach episode, obviously, uh, probably sounds familiar to a lot of you nerds out there. But um, you know, what was the inspiration for that? Uh, I, I was talking to. A few people on Twitter and someone was like, I just want to play a game where I vibe with my friends and we chase vegetable bandits out of our garden and like we just vibe. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a cool, like homey, comforting game. So I started writing it. I used the uh, Powered by the Apocalypse Dice Core, the 2D6 uh, failure mm. mixed success success system. Yeah. Uh, just really easy to use and pick up. I had never even played a PBTA game and I was making a game with it. And I was thinking about my friend vacations that we used to take before the COVID times. And it was always, always like a beach vacation. So it's like, we could do this at, uh, and I showed it to a friend and they're like, Oh, this reminds me of a beach episode from an anime. And I was like, Oh, that's the new name. Like that has to be the name. And so that helped me kind of tighten up the mechanics some more, the writing and even like the marketing and stuff. I'm like, all right, this is, a this is a beach episode game this is for downtime and whatever system you want or just play it alone you can do that as well i played with eli and allegra from mayday as yeah. one of my play tests they did like a, a sci-fi one it was really cool they i mean they're just a riot so yeah, yeah that, that one was like a really simple one uh and i was like i just wanted to do a, a one-page game i opened up lasers and feelings and i was like all right what am i like if i wanted to do something like this what would i do and so i started just I had that doc up while I was writing, and that was that was that. That was like a, I was like, all right, I just want to get my feet wet with like a, a proper dice rolling game because place it doesn't have yeah. dice. Yeah, well, and I think that that's another thing too. Um, you know, I definitely I think it's important to like play the games in the spirit of what they uh, were made in. But I also will say too, like for me personally as a creative, it really inspires. Like, oh, like you could use these concepts in your downtime in game, right? 
mm-hmm. um, where it's like, okay, like we just finished a big arc, like, okay, what, you know, now our character is going to wind down before the next big plot hook comes along. Um, and so we have our, our beach episode and, and kind of using those same uh, dynamics. And I think it, you could easily build, use those it's from the page that you wrote, still do the 2d6 and just throw it in your D and D or Pathfinder game too. And, and, and it would work the same. Like you wouldn't have any issue just using a different mechanic for kind of yeah, some of that we, decision-making. During testing, I did it for my players who were in a D and D campaign and we used the, like they were playing their characters just in a different system. Yeah. So we, we were doing that. I know uh, Jason Zollinger has done that for his players as well at his table. Yeah. And it can be really like, liberating and sometimes you just need like a downtime thing like sometimes it's, it's just been really intense the last few sessions you're like okay we gotta <laughs> yeah decompress a little bit let's you know you know my my friends you know the D characters were trying to like make a parfait and it was going horribly <laughs> wrong i got attacked by a sea monster because they rolled poorly on a one thing so like the failure makes of something goes wrong i get to i get to make a hard move yeah and so it was you know and we did it with the D characters i think you can play any you know just insert stuff from other stuff because you know 5e is cool but also there's lots of other cool stuff out there that will yeah. make 5e better yeah yeah i think that's one thing that i've learned over you know once i got involved in the ttrpg community or space i should say in in the, the past five months that i've existed um <laughs> in twitter and i think it's something like yeah like D and in large part is what it is because so many amazing independent creators are just out there like making things better. Yeah. You can anytime, like we've done this where we'll be like, Hey, this thing in 5e isn't great. And so every time you'll get at least one, more than one probably of being like, actually, if you use this homebrew rule, it's not an issue. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. had to use a homebrew rule to <laughs> fix the thing that we're complaining about. We're, talking about the same thing we yeah, both didn't yeah, like it yeah uh but <laughs> we agree you know, yeah we yeah. agree stop <laughs> arguing with me yeah. we're not on different sides uh yeah no yeah but it's 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 folks like to do that i remember one of the first time like i was a, still a new dm but i was dming for a new group and uh there was a player who was like encouraging me to just be like well it does, doesn't matter if it's a potion it's 2d4 plus 2 just make it up it doesn't matter yeah and i was like well they probably put a lot of thought into like the balance and stuff and he was like, no. And this was like early days of, of, of 5e. And then I, now like years later, I'm like, he was right. Like, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was right. It's a fun game. I like it. It's just, you know, there's, a, it, things don't have to be perfect for you to enjoy them. And people criticizing a thing you like is not criticizing you unless you've made it your whole personality, which you shouldn't do. In Critical role. <laughs> I mean, we, I agree with your cough. Uh, I, I have no horse in that race. I, I, don't, right. I can't. I'm just saying. No, yeah, watch. me neither. I'm just saying, like, just because somebody criticizes critical role does not mean they're criticizing you as a critter. You're not a bad person You're because bad the people person. that you like did a bad thing. You don't <laughs> yeah. have to defend them. Yeah. They don't. Know I, they don't. They don't like you. Yeah. I love Pathfinder 2e. Paizo has recently done a lot of terrible things, <laughs> <laughs> but I am not a Paizo employee. So yeah. Um, uh, um, yeah, so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, all those things, <laughs> the, all the different changes that you can do to it. Um, and, and lastly, you know, like I said, I want to talk about, uh, the couch core. So 
this is a really cool thing. Like you said, somebody was able to design a game in 15 minutes. Like what, you know, what inspired you to create this? How did it even come about? It was fully a joke to start. Nice. It was a joke. Uh, in someone's Twitter thread, I was talking with uh, Maps and Quests and Eli from Mayday Roleplay. Yeah. And they were, they were joking about like a D4-based system. And they're like, oh, we could call it the Caltrip system. And I was like, oh, that's like funny and I, cool. And I, I went to like not even design with it. I was just like, okay, how would this work out? And I was like, oh, well, it's not three levels of success. It's four. So here, let me write them out. And so I had a little like word doc of just, you know, what each number meant. And I showed it to like the people who we were, I was joking with and it started like taking on a life of its own. Eric from Maps and Quest was starting to like actually design a game with it. And so I made up a, I, I was like, oh, this would be cool. Like I'll make a little like one pager uh, for like, if you want to make your own game really like quick, like if just for new game designers, it's not yeah. like complicated. It's not particularly robust. Here's something. Uh, and then people started being like, oh, I really love this. I'm making a game with this. So people just started making games with it, yeah. like without me really prompting. I think I posted the one pager like a couple of times. It wasn't something I was actively promoting. Uh, and people were just like, oh my God, I have to make something with this. And so the game started happening and I was like, I can get on the train or I can just watch it leave the station. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, let me, you know, if something I made, I can like manage the community, manage the values, manage uh, promote other other creators who are making stuff with it. Like this could be a, a great thing for everybody. And so I wrote up a longer doc that sort of walks you through what I, as a beginning game, as a like a novice game designer, how I think how I approach writing a game. Yeah. And so there's some guidance there. There's a demo game in there where you where we like build a fantasy game together essentially, and it's sort of. It was, I tell people all the time, it was a joke. And then people started using it. I was like, okay, well, I guess it was good. Uh, and so I just went like uh, earlier this week, uh, was it yesterday? Or it might have just been yesterday. Spencer Campbell made a game with it live on his stream. Uh, he made Lumen and, and Slayers and all these awesome games. Uh, and he's been very supportive of yeah. my like game designer-y sort of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm starting, I'm, I'm trying to, to get better and stuff. So it was just really cool to watch him break down the, the doc and like analyze it and like teaching stuff, teaching me stuff I didn't know about my own system. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh, this is so like, he's on another level. It's really cool. Uh, and yeah, so it was just, here's something that I'm pretty good at like trying things and not being afraid of failure. Yeah. And that like, I don't think I'm a particularly brilliant game designer. I'm new to it. I like it. I think I'm pretty good at it. I don't think I'm like a genius, but I am good at like just trying things and if it fails it fails yeah and so i was like let me help other people with the starting something you know like people was like oh i want to do this i just don't know where to start yeah. i'm like i never know where to start i just start here you know i just <laughs> kind of just like all right uh i guess we'll try something right now yeah and so i think that's more than anything i don't think these are novel mechanics these are not like you know it's not anything revolutionary it's just a multi-tiered success system based on a D4. That's like, that's it. It's, yeah. it's just a, very easy, but the sort of push that I'm, I think the value of the system is that it's so easy to just pick up and people can like you prove to yourself, you can make a game. You are, you can be a game designer. And like, I started doing my own games in like May. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not like a pro by any means. I'm like, I'm pretty new, 
but I'm a game designer and you can also be a game designer. It's super easy and you can move on from couch recorder stuff that's more complicated. You can do what Spencer did and like created this like wild fractal of, of tables to roll on <laughs> to the point where like it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a couch recorder anymore. And he was just like, just just you know as, as just bullshitting like yeah. just off the dome like oh yeah like what if we did this this and this it's like oh this is like four-dimensional couch trip core what the heck is going on this is so cool this is not even mine anymore this yeah. is freaking rad uh but yeah I, I i one thing i'm very pleased about is all the comments from people saying i've wanted to do this i didn't know where to start this is great thank you like that's for me is the most fulfilling thing and people make see people put out cool games i'm like this is so good yeah, I think it, it it is really cool, and um, you know, I think it's it's awesome that you made it. I think it's going to help a lot more people still in the future. Um, and I think for anybody who's listening to this and going, well, you know, why won't why don't I just create my own system? Like, for sure, you absolutely can. But what I will say is that most systems out there are derived from something else. Like most, or I should say, most games. So. You know, PBTA, we talked about that, Powered by the Apocalypse. It's a specific, they don't even like it being called system, but it's essentially it's a specific set of rules that people use to inspire their own games, uh, mm-hmm. same way that Caltrip Core is. Um, the D20 system, which everybody's familiar with, D&D, Pathfinder, um, you know, Call of Cthulhu uses a D100 system. So there's like, it doesn't have to be completely unique for you to create a beautiful game that people will enjoy. Like, you you should use tools that are out there available to you so that you can get used to it. Um, it's hard to just design a core from scratch. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a joke. I tried to do. I I I think the same way because I'm I'm such a like designer home brewer at heart. Yeah. Like I'll just make it myself. Why would I use someone else's thing? But like <laughs> I read Lumen by yeah. Spencer Campbell and that SRD is is so cool. And I was like, oh, actually, I understand why you would build on someone else's system is because. Sometimes that system is awesome. Sometimes yeah. it's really cool and you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel. I tried to do it for my own thing. And I was like, this is a lot. Like you're giving yourself so <laughs> yeah. much more work. It's already going to be so much work to make the game on someone else's dice core. Just there's so much good stuff. Like Dicebreaker just put out a, a list recently that I got to be on, which was really cool for Couch nice. Core. That's uh, awesome. Lumen obviously on there. Losers and Feelings as a like games to hack uh, part of it. There was um, Crash RPG, I think. Sorry, I'm butchering the name. Uh, that person also keeps a list of SRDs. So, like, find a, a thing that you like. There's D, there's so many D6 systems. There's World of Darkness that uses a D10 dice pool system. Like, there's all sorts of cool stuff you can do. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. People might even be like, "Oh, cool, Powered by the Apocalypse. Let me check it out." Like, I like those yeah. types of games. So it yeah. can be, it can work in your favor as well. Yeah, I def I was bored at work one time and I just started like trying to design a system and it got really crunchy really fast. So yeah, let me tell you, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to like to to really like visualize how is this going to work in in play. But I think you know if that's something you're interested in, you know, just have fun with it. You know, throw some shit. Like it doesn't always have to have a hard and fast rule either. Like there are many games that are just like narrative, like. Describe what you're doing, and then we'll go from there. And if I, you know, if your character can't succeed at this, then we'll just fucking roll some dice for it. For like the very, you know, but like not to open this do door. Even, we don't need to roll a die to open this door. <laughs> yeah, you can even do like Wander Home is a great game to read for another. Yeah. It's sort of like the opposite of the D and D Pathfinder school yeah. of design. 
And I learned so much just from reading Wander Home that really informed a lot about Caltrip Core and a lot of other like Nighthawks and stuff. That book, I mean, if you can get a physical copy, it's beautiful, gorgeous. The art's incredible, but get the PDF at least and, and read through that. That really changed how I thought about things because it's, if you've only done D20 systems, it's hard to be like, all right, what? how else do I resolve a problem? Yeah. How else do I resolve a role? <laughs> it's the D20. What else is there? Yeah. And if you once you start reading other games, you don't even have to play other games. Just read them and see, oh, this is actually a, a different way of resolving. Because what you're looking for is we want a certain amount of uncertainty probably, and we want this thing to happen. So yeah. how do we decide if that happens? Wander, Wander Home and uh, I think Belonging Outside Belonging, that sort of school of systems uses tokens. There's no stats. There's like, there's playbooks, but it's very not crunchy. It's like, here's some things you can always do. Here's some things you can spend a token to do. And they're always really flavorful narrative sort of uh, choices that you can, you can tell this really compelling story in a world that canonically has no more violence in it. Like the war is over and there's canonically no violence. And so you can tell really beautiful textured stories in a world like that. It doesn't have to be the quest to kill the dragon or, you know, whatever other, uh, you know, borderline genocidal things that you do in D and D. Or just uh, kill every monster. Just kill every goblin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> have you have you been on Two's company yet? I have not. No. Um, I think that that's the name of Daisy's podcast, right? Right, right, right. I haven't been on it yet. They um, they asked me to, they, they did ask me to be on it, but like the planning phase was like so far ahead. So like probably next month or I know. That's like, May. yeah, the same. I'm, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Shout out to Daisy. Um, Shout out to Daisy May on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah. So I mean, it's super cool. I'll, I'll let you go. I'm super conscious of the time, but um, thank you so much for coming on. I think that this is been one it's been a lot of fun to talk to you and get to to know you a little bit better um because we've you know interfaced quite yeah, a bit on twitter and um, yeah um but two i think this is going to be very helpful for for folks who are getting into the the hobby and, and want to give um game design and and you know um <clears throat> excuse me character design and stuff like that a try so you know check out um lexus stuff um go get you some couch core and yeah thank you so much for coming on yeah, it was fantastic. I'm happy to, like, we got sidetracked on nerd stuff. And, like, if I'd be happy to come back for more game design things. It was, like, the tip of the iceberg. So I had a great time. Happy yeah. to, to do another game design episode. Uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but but we're also doing a Caltrip Core game jam the last week of the year. So next week, starting Sunday mm. through Saturday, just finish a game before the new year. That's it. You got to build a game on Caltrip Core, finish it. That's all. That's the yeah. whole jam. Uh, and people have done a 15-minute ones, so you could do a bunch of games if you wanted. Yeah. But just finish one game. That's that's what I want people to do. I, that's my goal. And that's that's you you don't know until you try it if, if you like it or if you're good at it, whatever. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, and, um, and uh, we'll go ahead and end it there. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show, and if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 